This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash guest. It's a very strange feeling to kind of sit here and like, what's supposed to happen now? And I guess it's my turn and... I guess I just start speaking and I hope that people can hear me. So for the, uh, I have two topics for today and um, I want to introduce you to two two terms, two ideas or concepts uh, that turns out I think uh, has been very, I think very important in the teachings of the Buddha as they appear in the Pali Suttas, but have been overlooked for the most part. And um, and they are the terms uh, in Pali, Kalyana and Anukampa. And by the end of the talk, maybe you'll have learned these, these words. And uh, the first one <clears throat> I'm translating as beautiful, and the second one as care. And as I'm thinking about us in this uh, COVID-19 era, it just seemed like talking a little bit about the beautiful part of the practice, this, how Practice connects us to what's beautiful and to care, to caring. Seemed like the kind of most relevant or most up for me to share. So about a a year, year and a half ago, I found myself gravitating or resonating or inspired by the Navajo uh, idea of walking in beauty. And I, I, I kept coming across this and I go, oh, that really, I somehow it just touched me in a very nice way. And, and so by the beginning of summer last year, 
it was resonating so much, I decided to uh, learn about it. So I went to some Navajo websites and to see what they, how they talked about this word uh, be- beauty and walking in beauty. And uh, there were all kinds of wonderful teachings there, but one of them was um, a def- uh, definition of what this, they had a, a, a Navajo word which they presented, and then they had the definitions of it. And there were uh, mostly a lot of words that they described what this Navajo word can mean. And um, there are words like um, harmony, virtue, virtue, the natural order, goodness. Um, there's a whole bunch of wonderful words. And, um, and it was quite varied and large, all the different kind of associations this word has. And, and the Navajo, many of them, maybe most of them these days, um, speak English. So they're perfectly capable of choosing an English word to represent this very important spiritual word. And uh, of all the different meanings it had, they chose the word beautiful, beauty, walk in beauty. And that inspired me, wow. And I, and I wondered, is there anything like that in Buddhism? Is there any word that encompasses such a, a wide range of very profound and beautiful qualities and understandings and relationships to the natural world that uh, also means beautiful in Buddhism? And I thought for a while and I thought maybe Dharma, maybe Dharma is the one. It's, Dharma has so many meanings and maybe that could be it. But I poked around and uh, soon enough, I discovered that there's a word that is commonly translated by translators into English as good. And good is good, but it's not a very evocative word. It's not clear what it means. Some people complain good and bad are not very useful concepts to abstract. They're maybe even moralistic or something. It is good. You know, it's, things are, it's good. Good is good. And one of the places you see the word good is the, often in English, is the expression the Dharma is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good at the end. Well, that's good. You know, it's kind of inspiring a little bit, but, you know, what does it mean? And it doesn't really kind of do that much for me. So it turns out that the word good is Kalyana which most people in the insight world now know is Kalyanamita. Uh, and that's translated with the word good again, but with another word, good spiritual friend. So Kalyana means is translated as good spiritual. That's also kind of nice, but it begs, it begs explanation. Good in what way and what's spiritual here and things like that. If you go to the dictionaries, all the Pali English dictionaries and the Sanskrit English dictionaries that I have, and look up this word Kalyana, the first definition that all these dictionaries give is beautiful. And then I started thinking, what if we just substituted all these words good with beautiful? And it turns out in the teachings of the Buddha, the word Kalyana appears something like 400 times. It's, it's quite a bit of times. And it's invariably translated as good. Good, 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 good. It's very, you know, it's, it's very good. But just imagine if what you came across and read was beautiful. It's be- beautiful, beautiful, beauty, over and over again. 
uh, it evokes a whole other thing. Um, Kalyana also means virtuous. It could also mean excellent. It could mean things like um, goodness, in addition to good. But all these words, good, goodness, virtuous, even that you have excellent or excellence, um, kind of need more explanations and justifications and unpacking what it means. But when you translate it as beautiful, it has an affective uh, effect on us, many of us. It has a different, it's not a philosophical term or an ethical term. It's an aesthetic term that touches a much wider range of our aesthetic, our sensibilities, our senses. And I don't know if everyone has an automatic association with beautiful, but it tends to have very different connotations than the word good or virtuous. But that the, what's, what's being talked about here, Kalyana is in fact used in Pali to refer to a person who's physically beautiful. So that, 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 so it kind of, you know, that's one of the reasons why beautiful works. But uh, it's in, uh, in the Dharma practice, it's talking about inner beauty, that we have this inner beauty that we that have inside. And um, so the Dharma is beautiful in the beginning. The Dharma is beautiful in the middle. And the Dharma is beautiful at the end. Very different feeling about it. Then, um, so this, uh, so the, um, um, sometimes the Buddha refers to beautiful, uses the word beautiful, kalyana, uh, to refer to someone who lives by the five precepts. So that there is a virtuous ethical component to this idea of beauty. And I think that's not uncommon for us in English-speaking word also to see, to see the integrity and the goodness, the wholeness, the virtuousness of someone else and see, can see there's a kind of beauty that radiates from a person who has a natural or inherent kind of ethical integrity. It's inspiring. It's kind of like it has its own, uh, you know, beauty that kind of shines through their skin regardless of anything else about them. And I certainly have been inspired by the ethical integrity of people I meet and, and, uh, and really kind of feel it as a, as a, you know, I don't know if aesthetic quality is the right word, but certainly an emotional quality or, you know, some deeper resonance than simply the idea that they're, you know, they're living by the precepts. Great, that's nice. But wow, it's, it's, it is something beautiful. Um, the Buddha referred to people who were spiritually mature, who developed well along the spiritual path uh, as being a virtuous conduct and so beautiful because of that. Uh, and who have, has beautiful qualities, beautiful mental qualities. And so the reference point for beauty comes into this, the qualities of our heart, qualities of our mind. And Dharma practice, the kind of one of the primary or important parts of Dharma practice is so we can become the caretakers of our own inner life, our own, the quality of our inner life. 
the quality of our inner life, we can't really expect anyone else to be the caretaker, the custodian of. If we expect someone else to be the caretaker of our inner life, we're setting ourselves up for certainly disappointment and maybe hurt, but also um, we're limiting the full potential of the good heart that we have, the beautiful heart we have. And we want to kind of awaken and this beauty that we have inside, these beautiful qualities. And where are the caretakers of it? Where are the gardener for it? Where are the one who's can care for it and value it? And I could say, you know, pretty confidently that uh, we all have beautiful qualities inside. In some of us, some of those qualities are just still there as dormant seeds. But to really kind of begin recognizing that the seeds are there, begin watering them and let them germinate and carefully tend to them and let them grow and develop, uh, that's a part of Dharma practice. And no one else can be responsible for that than yourself. Uh, and so to cultivate the conditions, to do the, to create the, the atmosphere, create the inner sensibility and the dedication and the care to give birth to or give rise to or to support the, the growth of these beautiful qualities inside. And one of the ways that the Buddha invariably will emphasize that it starts with ethical integrity and it starts with our virtuous conduct, which can be beautiful. And then we get to the word kalyanamita, a good spiritual friend. This is um, um, uh, a beautiful friend that the first and foremost, what a kalyanamita is, is someone who's virtuous, someone who embodies the beauty of, of virtue. It also is someone who has matured on the path to liberation. So they know something about the qualities of beauty that reside inside, that come with freedom, come with uh, the lessening of suffering. And they understand this and they can support other people in that path, in their path to develop this inner life, to free this inner life. Um, the, um, I think when we call a Kalyanamita a good spiritual friend, spiritual in the Buddhist terms means the deepest and fullest aspects of the human heart where ethics, awakening, and freedom um, from suffering all come together and kind of work together. A few more things with this word kalyana, which I find fascinating. Uh, it's also used in relationship to karma. Now, if you read these ancient texts in translation in English, and we have this in colloquial Buddhist English, the idea of good karma and bad karma. And that gives it, gives it a kind of moralistic uh, kind of slant to talk about karma in terms of good and bad. The Buddha, uh, when it, sometimes when he talked about good karma, which translated that way, he uses the word kalyana. And you get a very different feeling for karma if you talk about beautiful karma. The Buddha actually has a quote where he says that uh, one who uh, does beautiful deeds cultivates 
um, a beautiful fruit. One who do, does ill reaps ill. A doer of beauty reaps beauty. A doer of ill reaps, uh, reaps uh, ill. So the idea, we get a whole different flavor of what karma is and how to care for it if we uh, talk about beautiful karma. We're trying to create beautiful karma as opposed to good karma. For me, the distinction, one distinction that is that um, when I'm good karma, it's rather abstract. You know, it means being virtuous or doing good deeds or something, yes. And it's supposed to have some kind of benefit in the future or some kind of good. It's just a, you know, acquire merit or something. But when I talk, when I think about doing beautiful karma, it's like walking in beauty. It's like, oh, now I have a, an internal emotional, aesthetic, a felt sense, image, vision of, of being of something beautiful. Oh, an act which is beautiful. A speech which is beautiful. Even thoughts that are beautiful. And it, for me, it takes it out of um, a purely moral concern. And I'm pretty confident that being moral will come out of this inner beauty. But it's not what's put up in the forefront. It's, it's, so its forefront is some kind of deeper felt sense and understanding inside of something beautiful inside. When people are practicing meditation, the Buddha talked about becoming skilled in the beauty of meditation. Isn't that kind of nice? Instead of becoming skilled in concentration or skilled in mindfulness, those are all good things to do. But what about becoming skilled in the beauty of meditation, the beauty of samadhi? What does that evoke in you? Does it evoke something different? Does it touch something different inside of you? Then, oh, I got to get concentrated now. If, if the instructions are tap into what is beautiful inside, See if you can nourish and bring forth what's beautiful as you meditate. Does that have a different resonance, a different effect that heard differently than if the instructions are get concentrated? You know, what's, what's the difference in these kinds of languages? In one of the ways that Buddha talked about um, meditation, he talked about cultivating the beautiful witnessing so as we're cultivating mindfulness, sometimes we talk about observing experience. But in, in one passage, he talks about, rather than calling observing what's happening, he talks about having, um, cultivating the beautiful witnessing, the beautiful observing. The fact that there's something about mindfulness itself, the observing quality of mindfulness, of being a witness to your experience, that itself can be beautiful. And if the instructions are to observe your experience where the observing itself is beautiful, with what eyes do you look? With what inner perception do you use? If the very act of perception itself is a beautiful thing. I'm not suggesting it's easy to tap into this, but it, maybe it evokes some different reference point it maybe opens a little door to maybe to a question, to an exploration, or maybe there's another way 
of meditating that I never thought of. I thought I was supposed to strain. I thought I was supposed to pounce on the breath or, you know, I was supposed to be really strict and I was supposed to be, you know, good meditator or something. Uh, don't be a good meditator. Be a beautiful meditator. What happens then to you? And, um, and then, um, and what's kind of nice about this idea of becoming a beautiful, this beautiful witnessing is that what's being witnessed is also beautiful. That as the practice deepens, as we begin shedding and, and, uh, and dissolving some of the unwholesome tendencies of the mind, we're no longer caught in the grip of fear or conceit or, or hurt or greed or hostility. As these things begin to uh, dissolve, that um, what gets re replaced with is uh, beautiful qualities of mind. And some of the things that are clearly referred to as beautiful with a different word for beauty, sobhana, is um, uh, deep states of meditation are considered to be some of the most beautiful things you can experience. And to go further in practice and begin actually experiencing some degrees of liberation of freedom, the experience of freedom is considered to be beautiful. And sometimes some people will say that the most profound experiences of letting go and that you can have in Buddhism is the most beautiful thing that you'll ever see. And rather than it being kind of a radical annihilation of something or disappearing, they'll come back from that kind of experience of deep letting go and say, that was the most beautiful thing ever seen, ever known. So a beautiful witnessing of what's the deepest beauty we can have to bring into harmony, to harmonize with this world that we're in so we're not resisting it or fighting it or in conflict with it. To walk in beauty is to walk in that harmony with how things are. To walk in beauty, perhaps, at least in Buddhist terms, is to be able to see, perceive, understand, uh, view this world through eyes that see beautifully, that see beauty. And I would say that one of the great benefits that I've had from doing this practice is um, I see so much beauty, uh, much more beauty in the world and in people than I ever could have imagined when I was younger and before I practiced. And this idea of living in this with so much beauty um, has been, you know, certainly an inspiration for me and a great, great happiness for me. It's also given me the resiliency and the capacity to feel what's to see and experience me present for the immense amount of suffering that exists in our world. And that comes to the second topic I wanted to touch in on here, which is, um, and the word for that is anukampa, the A-N-U-K-A-M-P-A. And, um, I translated, uh, after doing a lot of study in the suttas to see how this word is being used, I, I've come to the tentative conclusion that the, that the really good translation into English is care. And, um, 
And so and you have in some hospitals now, you have departments of spiritual care, and they use the word care for, uh, for kind of, even sometimes in some hospitals now, they use for just a med- medical, they talk sometimes like medical care. It's a very rich word, the word care. It has many different interesting meanings that are fun to play with. But the, the way that um, um, I understand it now, and one of the reasons I'm inspired to talk about it is that it's really helped me understand something about my capacity to care uh, that um, I hadn't quite really uh, put words on or really understood uh, until I found this, uh, this concept in the suttas. I think before that I was uh, limited by, by vocabulary in Buddhism to the Brahma Viharas to some degree. Beautiful. These are beautiful qualities. And, uh, of, uh, usually we translate loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Beautiful things. But uh, it turns out that Anukampa is more like the foundation for the Brahma Viharas. And um, it's the care. And the difference is that the word Anukampa um, in the suttas is always the word that's being used for the active act of doing something for the welfare and benefit of others. So whenever the Buddha, in the, in the, again, now in the translations of we get in English, when the Buddha goes out to teach someone, it's out of anukampa. And translators will translate it as compassion. And people assume that it's the word karuna, but it's not karuna, it's anukampa. And uh, or receive a donation out of anukampa, or go visit someone who's sick out of anukampa. All the acts of caring for someone are motivated by anukampa. So, and karuna in the suttas is never described in terms of going and actually doing anything actively caring for other people. Uh, so it's a significant different usage of these two words in the suttas. And, um, and, and what's interesting about anukampa, I mean, is that it's an attitude you have to promote the welfare of other people in addition to wanting them not to suffer. And this idea of welfare, so the Buddha says we should, you should teach um, uh, uh, the four foundations of mindfulness out of anukampa, teach the eightfold path out of anukampa, establish someone in stream entry out of anukampa. Now that can certainly be motivated by compassion for someone suffering, but there are people who aren't suffering that much and we can still care for them. Um, uh, you know, there are times when I've suffered a lot and it's been so profound for me to be the recipient of people's compassion. It's just such a beautiful thing to feel that. But if my friends that I hang out with are constantly looking at me through eyes of compassion and talking to me through speech of compassion, I think that I would probably start being irritated. I'd probably feel like, give me a break. I don't want to always be seen through your compassion. You want to save it for when I'm really hurting. But I do value that they care for me. And so if I'm not suffering, but I'm happy, my friends can still care for me and they can want my welfare. 
even if I'm not, you know, there's no suffering to end, but there is welfare to have. I can be happier and have have good experiences in life and whatever. So the word anukampai is a broad term of care that encompasses everything that's included within um, the Brahma Viharas. But it's a, I see it as a much simpler, ordinary capacity that comes, it's a beautiful capacity that comes kind of from a simplicity of being. It has to, something like that, because uh, the way it's described in the suttas, anukampa is never something anyone cultivates. There's no instructions to develop anukampa. Um, there is instructions on practicing loving kindness and compassion and such things, but anukampa is never treated that way. It's just assumed to be there. It's just assumed to be part of the goodness of a human being that becomes more and more revealed, becomes, stands out more and more in highlight or becomes stronger, the, uh, the greater the inner freedom a person develops. The less there are obstructions for ourselves, obstructing the good heart, the beautiful heart, the more, you know, the more this, this, uh, this um, resonance of the heart that can uh, respond in all these different ways. And in fact, the word anukampa, literally the etymology of it means to, um, to uh, vibrate or shake together with others. There's some kind of a resonance or kind of a vibration or a shaking or some people translate it as a trembling together. There's a kind of being moved by. And there's a, the most simple ways in which we are when we're open and relaxed and safe and feel like we can really take in other people into our hearts, we can be moved by people. We can be moved by the situation. Uh, last night, my wife showed me a video she had found on, I guess, on Facebook. And I cried watching it. And uh, it was really moving. And it was what it is was a, a bunch of um, teens showing them the moment in which something really wonderful happened to them. And to see their joy and they're jumping up and down. And, you know, it, it, was, it was unexpected joys. Like they were just being teens, whatever your idea of a generic teen is around adults. <laughs> I don't know. They were just being, you know, not particularly happy. And then it was like, boom. And I was just seeing this joy, you know, like, you know, it certainly resonated with me. And since I've been, you know, practicing on this retreat when, when I saw it, um, you know, I started crying watching this, this resonance, this capacity to feel and, and, and empath, empathic feeling with. And it's, that's uncomplicated. That more, that more than just being moved by and having a care for and what shape that caring takes uh, has a lot to do with the context, the situation. Sometimes care just means that uh, someone is, a teen is really happy and so you celebrate with them. And that's what care looks like. Uh, it's possible that someone um, is basically going well in their life and you just really feel this meta for them and you really wanna support that. Or you feel they or they're suffering, and then you have compassion, karuna. 
as this kind of like the background foundation that comes from a simplicity, I think of it as from a simplicity of being. The kind of simplicity of being comes as we begin to get out of our way, leave ourselves alone, um, don't overlay on top of our good heart, our beautiful heart, the, uh, the self-criticism or the hatred or the despair or the disappointment or the doubt or the embarrassment or the judgments that somehow were not good. These are all things that I've done to myself. And I, I certainly know how painful it is. And, and it's not easy to have them dissolve or settle away. But maybe it's a little bit easier to come to terms with them and find our way if we can have some faith that, yes, there is a beautiful heart in here. There is a good heart. Yes, you, we, we are all a share in this beautiful human capacity for a simple care. Some translators will use the word tender uh, in this relationship to this kind of t tender care, tender compassion, um, sometimes simple, simple care, simple compassion. And, um, and it's not a simplistic thing to have this simple, beautiful care of being. But what it points to is, is that it's possible to have these qualities of compassion, loving kindness, sympathetic joy, equanimity, to have care and feel nourished by it. Feel that it's part and parcel of what's beautiful inside. Rather than being weighed down, rather than being challenged, it's, there's something beautiful that's responding to the world that we can trust because this beautiful thing that can respond is something that can respond effectively, caringly, compassionately, appropriately, even passionately, without needing to feel weighed down, burdened, oppressed, despairing, distressed by what we're encountering in the world. This is kind of like the ideal. This is kind of the potential that we're, we can grow into. And maybe the little steps towards that is to walk in beauty as we do walking meditation, to sit in beauty, to observe, witness in beauty as we do our mindfulness practice, to witness what is beautiful in this world, to witness what's beautiful in ourselves. Is there anything inside of you, deep inside in your heart or in your mind, that you feel kind of is beautiful or hints at beauty, is evocative of beauty? And what would happen if that's where, if that's kind of the perfume that's wafting through your mindfulness practice? That your meditation is supported by that and inf informed by that, guided by that. That that is what kind of allows you to settle. That there's a beautiful qualities of attention, of care that exists in you. And that you meditate with that care, with that sense of beauty, with be beautiful meditation in such a way that you begin to quiet down and settle and get maybe 
in a beautiful way, stiller, like a still, quiet, beautiful lake. Or the sky when it's all the smog is gone and the haze is gone and there's nothing, no obstacles to seeing. And so we see this clarity. We see the mountains in the distance or something because of the absence, this beautiful absence of obstruction. Can you, can you begin to recognize that which is unobstructed? What you can see as you settle and get quieter and stiller, not because you're getting dull, but because something inside of you, something, some vitality of stillness is standing out. And to kind of finish this with a, maybe with a, hopefully a usefully evocative image of, of a certain kind of beauty and a certain kind of um, vitality of stillness. I'll give two of them since maybe the first one won't work. And that is that um, uh, sometimes uh, image that's used for meditation is a candle flame burning without any wind so that it's completely, the flame itself from a distance looks completely still in a certain kind of way unmoving. But we know that inside it's dynamic with light full of vitality, and it's very still. The other image, uh, some of us will like going to the riverbank and watching rivers go by. And sometimes it's a very big, wide river. Uh, it's something very peaceful about just watching the river go by. That's very different of watching the river higher up in the mountains where it's uh, going over the rapids. You know, if it's a lot of boulders and rocks and steepness, it just cascades of, you know, almost violent water sometimes. And it's, it has its own beauty. Uh, but it's not necessarily, sometimes I've been in places, it's not really relaxing to watch. It, but it's, you know, you know, awe-inspiring. But once the river gets down wide and big, then it becomes quiet. The quiet flow of a large river that has no obstructions that just flows beautifully and calmly. It has a vitality and a live and a flow, but, and it's, it also has a stillness to it. It's quiet. So that, those kinds of images that can you find, can you observe in beauty? Can you sit in beauty? Can you walk in beauty? So that the flow of your river, the light of your candle can be bright, strong, full, and also very quiet, beautifully quiet, because there's no obstructions. There's no interfering with it. You're not stirring the pot. So uh, Kalyana and Anukampa, beauty and care. May you beautiful people meditate with lots of care for yourself and the world. May your meditation actually be a way of caring for yourself and at the same time caring for this wide world that has so much suffering now. 
the world that needs more caring people. May it be that this meditation, this retreat, allows you to be a little more caring in an active way for the world that we'll return to or you're already in. So thank you very much. And um, thank you for listening and thank you for doing your practice so far. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.